0: Kids, uh, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Thanks. Sorry about the technical glitch. Those things happen from time to time. It uh, always keeps you guessing. If that happens in the future, grab a hymnal and uh, find out what page we're on and go for it. <laughs> Just a uh, quick reminder, high school missions trip um, is being planned for this summer and there's going to be a meeting for parents after the service uh... today in the youth room so parents if you have questions uh... you are welcome to join the uh... the youth and uh, a great opportunity for your kids to go on a missions trip this summer as well and uh, i guess ladies if if you have to be at two places at once um, you know i make make a judgment call <laughs> Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. As we come to this section of the second chapter of Galatians, we find that the Apostle Paul is continuing to address an issue that had cropped up in the early church. That issue primarily was this confusion concerning. What is the gospel? There were those who had come from Jerusalem, as you are aware, who said to the Gentile believers in Galatia, unless you behave according to our traditions and unless you follow our rituals, you're one of two things. You're either not a believer at all because you have to do these things in addition to faith in Christ, or if you have trusted Christ You're not as spiritual as you need to be unless you do these things. And that was causing confusion within the early church. What we want to see is this. The old letter of the law never, ever, ever brought spiritual life. As a matter of fact, as we'll see later in the book of Galatians, the law was put into place to demonstrate to us that we could never be good enough. We could never do enough to somehow achieve the righteous standard that God had set. The Old Testament law is really something for us to see ourselves as we really are and how we don't measure up. So the idea that if I believe in Christ and then I earn my way to God in addition to that, one really offsets the other. It's either faith alone in Christ alone that brings us salvation or it's living the law that brings us salvation. The law was demonstrated to fail for over a thousand years. So, when we find this passage in the Scripture, we find the truth that it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ brought by faith, given to us by the grace of God that brings us into a relationship with Him and not the things that we do. So let's look at this text. As we come to the 17th verse, I want you to notice it says, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I found it just a tad confusing. I had to read it about five times for it to sink in. What is he talking about and what does he mean exactly by that verse? And here's the thing. If the issue was so confusing that a pastor who's been in the ministry for 30 years reads it and says what's going on, it's a pretty confusing issue. Here's Paul's argument. Boiling it down to basically what it says, he's saying this. Confusion always comes in when man adds to the gospel. God gave a very simple gospel. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn from your sins to Him, trusting that when He died on the cross, it was enough for God's forgiveness and eternal life. You have a relationship with God. That's the simplicity of the gospel add to it, well, it's believing that, but it's also this, and it becomes very confusing. And here's why. Go to any given group at any given time, and they're going to have different requirements. You know, it's interesting. A few years back, one of our college students asked me to come be a part of a panel. And on the panel was a person from the Jewish faith, The Islamic faith, there was a Roman Catholic, and then there was me. I represented the evangelical faith. An interesting question the panel had to answer. How does a person become right with God? I was the last to get the answer, which I think was of God. The other three panelists said, it's what we do that brings us into a relationship with God. They had differing requirements. They had differing understandings. But the bottom line, do enough and somehow God will receive you and accept you. Then it was my turn. I talked about grace. I explained that the Word of God teaches us that none of us will ever do enough or be good enough for God to accept us. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He was good enough to pay the penalty for our sin. And that putting our personal faith in Him washes away that sin, deals with it. Everyone else had said, you hope that you've done enough to somehow get there. When it was my turn I said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not a guessing game. Not a hope that God grades on a curve and that somehow you're in the top percent that gets in. None of that. It's solely on the basis of what Jesus Christ did. And that's what we want to understand this morning. What the Apostle Paul was saying to Peter and all of those who were beginning to really confuse the Gospel in the minds of the Galatians was this. If we're wrong about being right with God, then Christ was wrong. Now let's look at the argument. 17th verse. If while we seek to be justified in Christ. In other words, what he's saying is this. Look. If I'm counting on Christ... To make me right with God. That's all the word justified means. It means God declaring us right with Him. So, what He's saying is this if I'm seeking to be justified in Christ, then it becomes evident that I didn't make it, that I'm a sinner, that I've missed the mark by doing that. Then that means that Christ promotes sin. How so? Where did the Gospel message come from? Not from man, but from God. Specifically, it came through Jesus Christ. He taught it in the Gospels. He revealed it to His disciples who later became the apostles. So, what Paul is saying basically is this. If you're saying that our Gospel is wrong, then you're saying that Christ is wrong. And then I want you to look at his response in the 17th verse. You know, this just may not be true. Is that what he says? A little stronger than that, isn't it? Absolutely not. What he's saying is, perish the thought. Don't even go there. Jesus Christ revealed the truth of how we have a relationship with the Father, When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, He didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, and plug in your favorite value. When Jesus said in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, He didn't say whoever believes in Him, and said whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ delivered the Gospel. Man should never through tradition or addition put anything along with that faith. And that's the point of this passage of Scripture. Jesus taught us about His grace. And He provided for us so great a salvation that we need never fear that it's not enough. Look at this passage from Hebrews chapter 7. I love this passage of Scripture. Notice what it says about our Lord. Therefore, He's able to save for the most part. No. Therefore, He's able to com- save completely... Those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. You know what that's saying? Jesus Christ prays for us, intercedes for us. He is our high priest. He's our go-between, between us and God on a consistent basis. And then look at this description. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for His own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins how much? Once and for all when He offered Himself. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was such that nothing can be added to it. And nothing should be added to it. And that's the point of this passage. We have a salvation that stands. Now, there are plenty of people who like to come in as umpires and call fair or foul as to where a person stands spiritually. But the only one that really matters as far as saying where we stand spiritually is God. Personally, I don't care if you think I'm saved or not. I don't answer to you. I answer to God. I don't care what the experts say. I answer to God. And what does God say? God says in Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. Do you hear what that's saying? The law never could save us. Observing the standards that God put in His Bible, observing those never got us into the right standing with God. It never did. What did? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful man to be our sin offering. He paid the price. And so, what did He do? He condemned sin and sinful man. In other words, God placed our judgment on Jesus Christ. As our sin offering, He bore that. And He placed every one of our sins on Him as our sin bearer in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Now look at this who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. You know what that means? My human nature could in no way be right with God. I'm going to mess up. There will be those moments of rebellion where I say I'm going to do my own thing. I know better. I say to myself, man, I shouldn't be doing this, but I do it anyway. God looks at our soul and our spirit and says, you are incapable of doing good and being good enough to be right with me. So knowing the condition of your nature, I make the provision of a perfect sacrifice. My Son, Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying in the 17th verse in Galatians is this. It's unthinkable that Christ would promote a gospel that is untrue. Then the text continues. If we were delivered from the law, then we can't go back to it. It makes no sense to go back to it. Here's the thing. Salvation delivers us from sin... But salvation also delivers us from the condemnation that stood accusing us in the law. Part of God's principle was this, if you do not live by these standards, then you die. Jesus Christ said, I will take that death upon myself, pay the penalty, so that this law can be set aside as far as its accusations against us, and I can make these people right with God when they by faith claim for themselves what I've offered. A great truth is found in this. Look at the 18th verse. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Now what the Word of God is telling us in this verse is very simply this. Paul was in agreement with Jesus Christ. That the entire system of working your way to God was destructive. So he destroyed it in his heart, in his life, and he gave it up to build a new faith. A faith that is founded in the Son of God. Now I want you to think about Paul's testimony for a moment. For most of his life, at the writing of Galatians, the Apostle Paul stood for the old standards of ritualism and traditionalism. He believed with all of his heart that that's how you have a relationship with God. But then, when he met Jesus Christ and was transformed by the power of Christ's grace, he no longer bought into that system. As a matter of fact, he made a conscious decision at that point, I will do all that I can to destroy that system because it's false. And he started to see Christ rebuild his life. So what he's saying basically is this, look, if I've given that up, why go back to it? If it was broken before and I found what works, why do I want to go back to what's broken? It makes no sense. And this is what Paul was saying to Peter and to those other Jewish influences that were coming into the church at Galatia. Don't go back to what didn't work for you before. Don't retreat. Understand that God's truth is God's truth. And man's tradition can't replace God's truth. Look at the 19th verse. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Now this has a lot to say. In the 19th verse when it says through the law I died to the law, what he means is this. The requirements of the law were a perfect sacrifice. Annually there was a picture of a sacrifice that was given by the sacrifice of an animal. The blood of that animal was a picture of how God covers sin through the life blood. But what did Jesus Christ do? He came as the perfect sacrifice and shed His blood for us so that for all time, that sin would not just be covered, but it would be dealt with. Absolutely and completely in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is this. By virtue of the power of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, the law no longer exercises power over me. He met the requirements of the law that I couldn't meet myself. Now there is hope For us as believers in that truth, I would hate to be a part of a system that says, live these standards. If you do a good enough job, maybe you'll get there, but you don't find out till you die. Anyone want to sign on for that? That's awful. Here's the picture. I could live a wonderful life up until the time I get to be an old man, which is closer now than it was years ago. And then I get into a bad mood and I start to do things that are wrong through bitterness. And that last year of my life wipes out the 70 or 80 years of good that I've done. That's scary. I wouldn't want that at all. I want a salvation not based on what I've done, but what on, on, on what Christ did. Because the surety of my salvation doesn't rest in my personal performance, which is going to be lacking. It rests in what Jesus did in His performance. And therefore, I stand right with God. It's a beautiful promise from Scripture. And that's the point of what this passage is saying. Trust the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 6 says this, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And that brings us to the last part of that 19th verse. Look at what the 19th verse says. Through the law, I died to the law. Now look at this. So that I might live for God. Now there are some people who take the grace approach and they say, so what you're saying is this. You receive Christ as your Savior and then you can go out and do whatever you want to do. That's not what Paul is advocating in this text, is it? He's saying because I've been delivered from the law In gratitude, I will live for God. And let me submit something to you gratitude is a great motivator. When I see something that someone has done for me, and it's something that saves my life, delivers me from something that's terrible. Gratitude is going to motivate me to live in such a way that I honor the person who did that for me. Fear. As far as saying, am I going to make it? Have I done enough? I just don't know. You know what happens? The people start to form a view of God to where they see Him and say nothing ever satisfies Him. And there's this distance That happens between us and God. We never feel close. We never feel that in any way we can have a confidence before God. We're always wondering, did I make it? Have I done enough? Am I right with God? What Jesus provides for us says, no, you haven't done enough, but I have. And we trust Him. We trust the very grace of God. that brings us to our next point. Complete salvation comes through Christ. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians 2.21. Notice what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. Now what does that mean? What that's telling you and me is this as far as God is concerned, when I trust Christ as my personal Savior, I am placed in Christ. And because I am placed in Christ by God, as far as God is concerned, because of my union with Him, the crucifixion that He experienced to pay for sin now becomes my righteousness because I not only was crucified with Christ, I was also raised with Him to walk in a new life. So when the Scripture says I have been crucified with Christ, from a theological standpoint, what it's saying is this. God made Him, referring to Christ, who had no sin, to become sin for us. In other words, as far as God was concerned, when Christ bore our sin on the cross, Judicially, God was saying, I am judging you as though you are a sinner. You are now a substitute for Rob, for Barry, for Don, for Gordon, for any of you. God became that substitute. He took our place. God placed that sin on Jesus Christ. It was judged in Christ. But because Christ resurrected, victory over sin you know what that means? His victory over sin is our victory over sin. We have been joined with Him in such a way that it counts toward us. God considers it credited to our account as far as righteousness. So when it says, I have been crucified with Christ, that's what it's talking about from a theological standpoint. But let's also think about this as far as how we live our lives. I have been crucified with Christ. Do you know what that means? The part of me that says, I really prefer sin. The part of me that says, I kind of like sin when I can get away with it. That's changed. It's transformed. It's, it's given a new life. The Scripture says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God gives us a new nature. God gives us the ability to walk in a new life. So I've been crucified with Christ, but I've also been raised with Christ to walk in this new life. Then I want you to look at the first part, again, of this verse where it goes on to say this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The I no longer live, that's what I'm talking about as far as that old nature. That old part of us that never wanted to follow God it no longer exercises the power over us that it once did. We're dead to it. It can't force us to do things that we don't want to do because of that new part of us, the new creation. I like what the English Standard Version Study Bible said. Listen to this. Paul's former self... The person Paul was before he trusted Christ with all of his sinful goals and proud, self-exalting desires came to a decisive end. He died. It is no longer I who live does not mean that Paul has no personality of his own, but that his own personal interests and goals no longer direct his life. Rather, Christ who lives in me now directs and empowers all that we do. And that's what we need to understand. That new nature that God gives us, given to us by the power of that new birth that we have in Christ spiritually, it gives us the ability to live for Christ in a way that we can't in our own flesh. Make your list as long as you want it to be. You can't deliver. You can't live it. Only by the power of being united with Christ do we see deliverance. But then he goes on. We live in the body by faith in the Son of God. Here's the thing. When I trust Christ as my personal Savior, I still have this body I'm not in heaven at the right hand of God with Christ as far as my experience. Now here's the part that kind of fries your noodle. As far as God is concerned, as far as His judgment, you are at the right hand of God. That is our position in Christ. But as far as our experience, we're living life in this body, right? I've got the pressures and temptations of this life to deal with. So what the Scripture says here in this 20th verse is this. I live in the body. Yeah, I recognize the realities of life. All of the things that I have to face. But here's the thing. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. How do we face the temptations and pressures of life once we have been crucified with Christ? That's the question that this verse answers. And the answer to that question is this. The same way I came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, by faith. Faith isn't something that we do the moment of salvation and then kick it to the curb and say, I no longer have use for faith. We come into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith and we live on in this body. By faith. In other words, taking the truths that Jesus Christ has revealed to you and me and living them out, trusting that they are true, and trusting Him to provide the ability for us to live them out. Here's the thing. We were not saved by our human effort. Neither Do we grow in our relationship with God purely by our human effort? Yes, there is a conscious decision to be obedient, but that only comes about by trusting in God and appropriating the resources He gives us to live the Christian life. If I say that I come into a relationship with God and then He's out of the picture, it's all on me, now I have to live the Christian life in the power of my own strength... I'm confusing the gospel. But if I come and I say it was by faith that I entered into this relationship and it is by faith that I continue in this relationship, then I've understood the transformative power of God's grace. There are too many people that say, you come into a relationship with God by faith, but then in order to be really spiritual, you have to try real hard and and in your own effort somehow be good enough by doing this list of standards that we give you. That's not the way it works. Human standards. Legalistic standards. I like what Paul said in Colossians. Such regulations have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's the thing. The monasteries had people who lived intensely separated lives. They believed that their flesh was somehow evil, so much so that they would actually beat themselves, deny themselves, Did any of them reach righteousness through doing that? The Word of God would say, no. Because there's that inner person, that inner being that's always there saying, I want to do my own thing. I want to resist against God. The harder they would beat themselves, the more they would deny themselves, the more that old nature would rear its ugly head. We can never drive it out by human effort. It's only by the transformative power of God's grace that we change. Grace changes everything. And grace can only be appropriated through faith. That's true at the moment of salvation, but it's true as I live on in the body. If I have a besetting sin, and I try and try and try, Eventually, it's that faith that overcomes by the grace of God. That's what God wants us to understand. It doesn't come easy, it doesn't come immediate. Sometimes it takes trial and failure as we grow in it. But God wants us to understand that it is His grace that transforms us and not our effort. Never our effort. Final point. We live only through the grace of God. I want you to look at the 21st verse. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I want you to think about the point of this verse. If I could be good enough to be right with God by what I do, If I could be good enough to be right with God because I was able to keep with perfection the law of God, then why did Christ come and die on the cross anyway? Christ came to die on the cross because He accomplished what I could not accomplish, a perfect and righteous life, and then He became a sacrifice for me. If I could obtain perfect righteousness by the way I lived... And there's no need for that sacrifice. And I want you to think about the power of this statement. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. That's the idea of set aside. It's a word in the original language that means we're declaring the grace of God to be invalid. We're saying that it's empty, valueless, If I'm saying I can be good enough for God to accept me, then what I'm saying is the grace of God really has no value. Because grace means God gives us something that we have not earned. That's the very definition of grace. If I come in and say I'll be good enough for God to accept me, then I'm denying that doctrine and I'm setting it aside. But more than that, the grace of God hinges on what Jesus did for you and me. If it weren't for the cross, there would be no grace that's applied to our salvation. So our salvation rests in Christ's performance and not our own. The passage of Scripture that we've looked into this morning is a passage that dealt with the church of the Galatians almost 2,000 years ago. But you know what? The same issues are alive today. There are still people confused about how you have right standing with God. They'll hear one group say, do this and believe this, and another group that says, do this and believe this. And they're totally confused as they look at what's said. I submit to you go to the source. See what the Word of God says about how you're right with God. Because what man says really doesn't matter. What God says matters a great deal. God has given us a simple gospel. As I've said before, it's a gospel that a child can respond to and have a relationship with Him. I know because... I was a child when I responded to it. God keeps the gospel simple because it was through the complexity of the cross and the judgment of our Lord that our salvation was given. The grace of God is never a cheap grace. It cost Him a great deal. And our faith and that grace, that provision for us. It completely, utterly, always makes us right with Him. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You for this text. We thank You that our standing eternally is not done by our performance. Oh God, it's done by You. Sustain us by Your grace, Lord. Let us not only come to You by faith, but God, let us live in the body day by day by that faith as well, as we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself up for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service,